it might seem that I've kind of gone about my career in a very deliberate fashion. And actually, that's, it's far from the case. Like, I definitely don't feel that. I've kind of trusted my instinct. We devised this entire workshop that we delivered in Yangon, and I got to see Burma, which was really exciting. And when you're, you allow yourself a space to be constantly surprised by technology, then really interesting work happens. I basically became a published comic artist. <laughs> It's Karishma, your host on Half Rye and Toast. So in today's episode, we will be speaking with Akhila Krishnan. She's a multidisciplinary designer and director working across the fields of projection design for live experience, visual reality, moving image, fine art, graphic narrative, collaborative practice and education. Uh, She graduated from the Royal College of Art and the National Institute of Design. Uh, She's absolutely blown my mind away and I think you guys have to listen to her story. She currently works and lives in London and is represented by United Agents for her work in projection design and moving image. So let's get straight to it. And here's welcoming Akhila. Hi, Karishma. Thank you for asking me to be on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here and talk about my work and some of the things I've done to date. Thank you so much, Akhila. I mean, uh, like I I mentioned earlier, I think there's so much that I want to ask you about. And it's so incredible, the work that you're doing. Uh, So let's just get straight to it for our listeners to know more. So Akhila, how did you develop this knack, you know, for storytelling and, you know, getting into different mediums like projection design, graphic narrative, uh, developing zines and and creating these multi-sensorial experiences? Um, I think it kind of, I think a lot of it is connected to my undergraduate degree at the National Institute of Design. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if a lot of your listeners um, are aware, but um, NID offers a four-year undergraduate degree The first year is a foundation course uh, where you don't specialize in any discipline and you kind of learn um, a lot of the basic core design skills that um, has definitely stood me in great stead through my entire career. And then you Mm -hmm. specialize for three years um, in a chosen discipline. Um, NID is also the only place, at least it was when I was studying, the only place in India where you can choose to do film at an undergraduate level. And um, usually it's a master's course anywhere around the world. Uh, For example, the NFTS in the UK is is for master's level students only. And I think the combination of being in a school whose pedagogy was hugely inspired by the Bauhaus, um, whose motto, like one of the big philosophies of the Bauhaus is learning by doing. So I think uh, drawing, image making, kind of thinking through drawing, storytelling were always the foundation of my practice and it just so happened that I decided to specialize in moving image but um, I continued doing a lot of this kind of work through the second third and fourth year I was at NID Um, I was on exchange to um, a college called NSAD um, the Ecole Nationale Supérieure des Arts Décoratifs in Paris as well which I mean kind of changed the way I approach my practice kind of fundamentally so if I think back on it, everything is connected to um, that amazing institute in Ahmedabad, which is still there today. Amazing. I think you're one of my second guests who's 
spoken amazing praises about NID and I'm I'm just like I really have to go check it out see the campus and it just sounds amazing like a lovely cocoon for designers to really find their own specialization um and you know growing up for you were you surrounded by uh design the creative practice of things or was it just developed at NID um i think that's a really interesting question uh, my father was in the indian navy and wow. um i kind of spent um a lot of my youth um moving around india um mm. i think we cha- i changed schools six times before i was 12 oh um, wow yeah and i think um I mean I think I think it's actually easier to move around that much when you're younger um but mm. I think doing it when you're younger also makes you kind of very resilient um both yeah. I would say both my parents are very creative though I mean by training both of them are engineers um uh, my mm. mother uh was a musician like used to play um the veena and I would say is a musician and my father actually loves english and the written word and I think he could he could have been a writer in another in another life. Um Yeah, probably while he was at ship maybe that was something that <laughs> he, he probably enjoyed. Yeah, definitely. Um I'm I mean I'm definitely like the only person who's chosen to forge a creative career in my immediate family. Uh yeah. both of my siblings um studied engineering and have gone on to kind of work in consultancy though. I mean, I have a twin sister and and she she works for a basically a think tank and i think she's one of the most interesting people i i know apart from the fact that i'm related to her um <laughs> and i think um i think in my family definitely there was a lot of love of um writing and a lot of love of like cinema and um i think of these things as as quite creative um i didn't have somebody to kind of model my career on but mm-hmm. um i think there was definitely a space in my family to be very creative um I actually thought I wanted to be a painter when I was 12. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer, which is um <laughs> quite a big pronouncement to make in a South Indian family when you're 12. You're like, I don't want to be an engineer. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is almost decided, right? That's yeah. that's what you've got to do. Yeah, but yeah. that's excellent. And my um uh actually it was my mother who recommended that I do design and I'm I'm really grateful to her for suggesting it. I think she realized it kind of would balance out in some ways that cliche of the left brain right brain thing that i have you know and and i think i i don't i still don't know how she was able to guess that uh and i remind her of it and she doesn't remember telling me this but i remember really vividly her saying maybe you should do design first and then if you want you can do painting um and she kind of changed my life basically by saying that wow i mean i'm sure she's going to hear this and feel very proud that she took that call way back then uh and you know uh, through what you said it, it's so true when it comes to choosing a path that really resounds with you you stuck through it and you've molded and and grown into the designer that you are now and i feel like that representation is still very weak i would say in certain fields in india like engineering is still very coveted right and yeah. uh, you know with more people like you coming to the fore and talking about what you're doing uh, it's just very inspiring for all of us so thanks for this and uh, wanted to actually know so through your art through your expression what are some of the key topics you like exploring personally um i mean i think i've always been drawn to uh, work that is sort of 
what I call rooted in nonfiction. Um, I'm really, I'm interested in making work that engages with current events and with politics or with lived experience in some way. Um, and a lot of my comic work or graphic narrative work is definitely rooted in that. Um, and in terms of um, my projection or my fine art practice, I'm kind of really interested in like um, the sensory. So this idea of like um, the tactile or the ephemeral and how you can kind of transform or transmute these qualities into unexpected mediums and unexpected ways. And um, a lot of my work is just about like in some ways taking a set of principles that work in one medium and applying mm -hmm. them to another and then kind of seeing like what new dimensions or new ways you can see, you know, you can see thing, you can see the second medium, you know, so it's, it's yeah. about, I guess, in a very trite way, like the connections between things and the resonances between things. And yeah. um, I mean, I definitely got into the work, the projection design work that I do, because I was really interested in like, I guess, tactility or live experience and this idea of like, when you are encountering something in real life in front of you, either through your body or through um, your eyes or your ears, so basically all your senses, um, yeah. you know, how how does storytelling work um, in those contexts? You know, what are strategies you can use that that help, you know, elevate those experiences or, you know, transform them? Or how can you tell stories through those kind of encounters in interesting ways? So that's so beautiful. And and I think what you said about uh, that staying with me is that when you do this and you apply a certain uh, sensorial aspect of one uh, medium to another one, you kind of open another dimension up almost. And yeah. like, your, like your work with uh, While You Are Here, uh, the play that, uh, you know, the dance, the play that you actually constructed, this whole movement visual-led story, uh, almost like gives you a distortion of space-time, right? Like, yeah. what do you think about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I was really lucky to be involved in, you know, this sort of iteration of this project called While You Are Here. It had been in development with a sort of different team, but I know the director, Lily Matlish, uh, well, we've worked on a couple of shows together. Um, but I think as a piece, it was very experimental in nature. The writer, the playwright, Eve Lee, who wrote it, um, I think summarized it as, you know, what if we look at storytelling in a sort of vertical excavatory way rather than in a horizontal lateral mm -hmm. way? And so there's this mm -hmm. idea of um, a single square of, you know, space and space or location. Yeah. And through the play, we kind of travel to that same patch of land through different um, time periods. And we kind of wow. jump and move across times. And in terms of a set design, um, which was sort of, I mean, I kind of, in this iteration of the project, um, kind of carried on the set, an original set design that, that Alex Eels made, but kind of augmented and transformed it with projection. And so it's like a single wall um, presented to the audience at a corner. Uh, and there's an extension of the wall on the left with these LED strips. And there are two doors on the actual physical set. And, and part of these sort of constraints of the physicality of the set are to do with touring and um, you know, transferring the set at this scale of working, which is kind of very much experimental dance in the experimental dance field. Um, and so we wanted to tour it with just, I think, a single projector. Um, and but but in some ways, 
the visual projection is the only thing that cues the audience as to where we are in space and time because as a as a piece it's primarily non-verbal and it's kind of just about these um universal human emotions of like love and loss and 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 family um that just that we see kind of repeating themselves from like you know 10 BC to a kind of speculative like you know 20000 years in the future i mean even what you did as a video designer for oliver twist uh, yeah. which which i absolutely loved when i saw it uh, you know guys it's all it's all you can go and check out her work on her prof- on her portfolio online it's akhilakrishnan.com but just to see the the words that were moving with the visuals it was just beautiful to show that you you know like you wanted to normalize uh, the dumb and deaf and disabled people uh, in performance work right like that's what y'all were aiming to do right through yeah it. so um i mean uh, the Oliver Twist is part of a really interesting and I think path-breaking initiative in UK theatre called Ramps on the Moon. And actually, like the 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 precise terminology for it is um, making theatre more accessible. Um, mm. And um, it's it's something that has gotten like a huge amount of Arts Council funding, and um, you they do like um, a production that tours every two years. and it tours mm-hmm. to a set of six regional partners and in this case um the project was a new version of Oliver Twist the classic and um so i think so the way to imagine it for a lot of you who might not actually have seen a lot of theater because it's definitely very much in its nascent stage in india yeah. um, imagine that you're going to see a live performance and actually in the design and the delivery of the show um the show kind of is made for people with um different abilities so uh, somebody who might not be able and there's a whole spectrum in this as well somebody who might not be here able to hear at all somebody who might be able to have partial hearing it's also yeah. made for um audiences who can't see because um the sound design and the way that the dialogue is delivered um and there's um audio description um you know texts and headphones and you you kind of basically as a whole as a production the whole um initiative recognizes that many sorts of audiences might be coming to see a piece of live performance and we need to make something that has a dimension in it for every one of those audiences um we are very careful about the fonts that we chose um all of the text is delivered as white text on a dark black background because that that gives you a high contrast i mean and it was also like a a new interpretation of this classic story so the whole ensemble was also made up of actors with differing abilities there were large sections of the show that were just signed using british sign language they and it wasn't translated for the audience um so it was kind of really path breaking in a lot of ways that's so amazing to even hear about an initiative like this getting this kind of funding and support because um we just don't consider all you know all areas of of all people like coming yes. and watching the show it's just it's amazing exactly like i think it, yeah. it i think it was for me it kind of indicates where the future of live entertainment or live experience should go because there's no reason why we shouldn't consider all of our audiences and um that comes back to what i said before about like you know what senses are you know is this kind of work going to give to somebody to a viewer 
and and it's about understanding that like sensorial experience can be multidimensional. So you know the beautiful thing about the show is whether you can hear or not, whether you can see or not, whether you you might be um, physically disabled, and whether actually you don't have um, some of these constraints that you think about as an audience member. There is a layer of the show for everybody. Yeah, and everybody yeah. will be able to experience the story. And that's truly, truly uh, when the cake tastes the best, right? Where every layer is <laughs> like perfectly baked for everyone. And and I mean, from from stuff like this to collaborations you've done with local artists and researchers in Yangon, in Myanmar, uh, you know, to recreating Greece uh, for a Mama Mia for a Mama Mia immersive theatrical experience um, at the O2 Arena in London, you've really done some interesting projects, right? So it would be great if you could walk us through some of your most memorable or interesting uh, projects so far. Um, oh my God, there've been, there've been so many. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to say at the outset that um, to some of the listeners, I mean. It might seem that I've kind of gone about my career in a very deliberate fashion. And actually, that's, it's far from the case. Like, I definitely don't feel that. I've kind of trusted my instinct and kind mm-hmm. of like, in some ways, always created opportunities for myself. I've never kind of sat back and waited for projects to come to me. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's the best piece of advice I can kind of give to anybody. Like, often... Like, uh, so specifically, I think one of my most memorable, one of the projects I want to talk about is uh, Capturing Light. It's not live on my website as yet, because I'm just, I've just actually been in the midst of updating my website. So I don't even know if Karishma has seen it. But um, that was actually my first project in kind of projection design. I did it in India. It was a pitch that I submitted to the French embassy, the Alliance Francaise in Ahmedabad. And it was an installation made up of um, glass bottles um, on which I projected this animated film that I made um, in collaboration with the artist um, Siddharth Gautam Singh. Um, I, we did this sort of like animation with made up of drawings with light. So, you know, long exposure photography with light, a lot of in-camera recording or drawing with light. And they were kind of all like composited together to create this kind of fictional like narrative story about like light and life. And then these were, I kind of placed a projector on a floor and reflected it into a mirror on a ceiling and then refracted the light into all these glass bottles that were placed in a physical installation in in the space. And the glass bottles like refracted and held the light in really interesting ways. And I kind of, I had no idea what I was doing uh, when I did this project. Like I, I just knew that I wanted to make, I wanted to kind of do, like I wanted to, make an installation that people could physically experience. I wanted to f- find a way to work with light because I guess I worked in film and, you know, film is about like the trace of light. And, um, but I also wanted this idea, like I wanted to create something magical in the sense of this, this experience of seeing light kind of pool and dissipate inside bottles in the way that you collect water, you know, like during monsoons in India. And, yeah. um, I had a lot of friends like um, Siddharth and friends like Aishwarya Arumbakam, who's a very successful photographer in her own right. Um, they, this was when I was working in Ahmedabad and they all just helped me and um, Rakesh Sa and, you know, um, the Alliance Frances. And it was at the Canoria Center for the Arts. 
And um, that was my first, I mean, looking back, it was projection design, but I didn't know it was projection design. I didn't know a field like this existed. Um, it just I, kind of stumbled into your into your journey. And then yeah. that's what, wow. Yeah. yeah, so I kind of mentioned this more to sort of get back to this idea of instinct and this idea of often like you might want to make work that has no precedent or no precedent that you can see. Because in the time that I was studying in India, you know, the internet really hadn't come to India. Instagram yeah. wasn't there. I didn't even have a mobile phone till I was 21. Um, <laughs> same boat, same boat. Yeah. Okay, not 21, maybe a little earlier than that. I actually, but, I mean, I actually think it was amazing not to have a mobile phone till I was 21. When I went to so Paris true. to study, yeah. um, I was in my 20s then in 2004, 2005. So you all can mm-hmm. like calculate how old I am. Um, my parents actually let me go to Paris without a phone and looking back I don't know how the hell they did that you know I would call them once a week from my hostel and um, I had friends there that you know I'm still in touch with and we would arrange to meet each other in this kind of old-fashioned like you know have a weekly planner and say okay on Thursday next week at this time I'm going to meet you there and then we could (laughs) just show up you know? And then you wouldn't use Google Maps, but the actual map to navigate through the roads. Oh, and kind of oh my God, I would, yeah, either that or I would actually check on Google before and, and draw myself like little maps. Wow. Um, and I still have them. Like I did it when I first moved to London because actually in the two years I was at the RCA, I didn't even have a smartphone. I only got a smartphone <laughs> when I went in 2012. And looking back, I again, I don't know how I did it, but um, I mean, this is the thing like, even if you don't have technology, like a lot of things are possible. And, you know, like, I think we pray. And I think, yeah. And I think that's where your imagination truly has kind of run. So, uh, you know, way ahead of times because you didn't have to stay with the typically smartphone obsession times, right? You had the freedom to think creatively and really picture things the way that you want to, rather than the way you would see it right now on every everyone's phone. So yeah. the way I- that's and a great one, yeah. And I also think it's made me think of technology in really different ways. So, you know, one of the other projects I want to talk about is um, is ongoing and it's something, it's it's the bystander anthology that I'm doing with the Kada Collective that I'm a part of. And um, I mean, a big element of the project um, is this idea of a digital anthology, you know, from the very inception, we wanted to do something that was a print, you know, yeah. like a printed book, as well as like, something that that was connected to online publishing and I just love that space you know I love what you can do with looking at storytelling online and and the tools that you or the strategies that you employ are very different from what you would do in a printed book yeah and 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 I think for me like in the work that I do with Kadak like there's a really lovely balance between digital and analog you know like in all the print analog printed work we do we love all these handmade printed techniques you know like xerox or like screen printing Mm -hmm. or like working with local papers and things that you can only do in india that are very tactile but on the flip side we love digital publishing publishing through medium you know like comic panels that you know you can can read through a swipe motion or like um the bystander anthology the digital version that will go live on the 15th of august i mean just coincidentally (laughs) will go live on 15th of august to um to the public it's right now um available only to our backers um you know we have moving image pieces in there we have animated loops and gifs we have um i mean just the range of work 
and and the strategies again are just really exciting and i think i think when you take technology when you don't take technology for granted and when mm. you you allow yourself a space to be constantly surprised by technology then really interesting work happens and in fact like all the work i do in projection design has only underscored this because you know so what so the work i do is actually it's called projection design or video design and till about 2 years ago there's no there were no colleges that you could study it at it's a field made up of practitioners from all sorts of different backgrounds like myself you know i came from conventional design there are people i know who came from you know english degrees or wow. physics degrees or music degrees everybody sort of learned on the job Yeah and it's a field where um where we're literally like on the forefront of technology but also it's a field that doesn't have a lot of money like VR or gaming so often we we're, we're constantly having to innovate to deliver the kind of shows we need to do and i'm sure that the kind of solutions that you've come out with uh, have been a mix of a physical uh, application of something into the technological application which just re- lends to then an overall uh, multisensorial dimension or an experience right i mean even even uh, i was going to say i'll give you another example so uh, one of the projects that i was really happy to work on during my time at 59 productions was um it was an installation called um shakespeare's will at Somerset mm-hmm. House it was part of this large exhibition um during Shakespeare 400 which was a big festival that happened in London on the 400th anniversary of I think Shakespeare's birth if i'm not mistaken and um it was uh, so the exhibition was one of the partners was the National Archives which is this sort of amazing archive space in West London and they hold like all the civic records in London from the 1600s And so they had these like amazing documents like court documents where Shakespeare was called in to testify in a court case mm-hmm. or you know his name was mentioned in a list of like um theater players who were part of like you know the king's procession and he's on all these like civic service documents and um they had all of these pieces that were being displayed in this exhibition and they were like okay we want to do something with it digitally what can we do so you know i kind of went away like um ideated with my team and then we came up with this really amazing idea of basically geotagging shakespeare through london in the 1600s wow. and but in terms of delivery actually the delivery was really simple so we had a wall graphic that we designed very mm-hmm. painstakingly based on like original maps of london from the 1600s and we printed it as a vinyl and stuck it on a wall it was about 4 meters long by about 2 meters high and mm-hmm. then we used that as a template for animation and basically augmented all the shapes in 3d and brought the map to life and um so it's it's sort of mounted on a wall in the exhibition there are three short throw projectors placed on the floor in front of it that map onto it and actually like it looks so magical because you're you're looking at something that appears flat and one dimensional and suddenly you add light to it and then the river has color and you know wow. the thames is flowing or like this building the white hall in london which is the seat of the government you know um it suddenly lights up and then these fireworks explode over it um and it was just this like it was one of the most like enjoyable projects i've really done like an amazing collaboration you know a group of like 30 people it was probably like six or seven people that delivered that show um myself included as a sort of like lead designer and um 
it was just it's so magical i remember lawrence brought his son to see it at somerset house and his son was three at a time at the time and he could go right up to the wall and touch it and there was no shadow of of his hand yeah. but like it was a it was like a flat thing but the river was filled with water it was just so wow. beautiful to see um and that's the kind of work i i want to do and and i'm interested in you know again I mean, that's you like have to you have to see my face right now it's like <laughs> my eyes are like wide open and i'm just like wow because uh, this is so uh, interesting to hear about and um, it's just so beautiful and and lovely to even imagine that such a space can exist for human interactions so even with your association with ladies do comics mm-hmm. uh, you know and how you've really made a mark in the comic and zine world even with the karak collective uh very interested to know where this thought came from what led you to it and what does uh what 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 are some of the things the karak collective does uh in this space um so i had sort of worked as an illustrator in india despite having graduated from from the film and video department at nid i'd done some illustration work with random house and map and publishing in amdabad before i moved to london and i was always interested in drawing and mark making um in 2013 um i applied for an open call that mantare comics at the time had put out um to find comic artists for a kind of weekly uh, one page comic that was published in the mint newspaper and um nice. i was kind of selected my pitch was selected and um because of that i i went on to i basically became a published comic artist and um my career in like graphic narrative has really taken off from then um and so i i did a i did quite a few commissions for mint while it was still a printed newspaper um mm-hmm. a couple for them when they went digital as well and then um again like story of my life just like constantly pitching to people finding publishers i want to work with and just approaching them um so that's how i ended up working with popular which is a kind of journalist owned comic site in based out of america and um with ladies do comics i mean um i entered um the ladies do comics um uh graphic short story prize um in 2018 i believe a friend of mine um actually who's working on the bystander anthology shreyas r krishna and she pushed me to apply Um I always think that my comic work is very unconventional like I'm not a conventional artist by any stand- standards like I'm really exper- interested in storytelling structures and a lot of my comic work is a space for me to explore those so I do very like unintuitive well I guess I would call them intuitive people yeah. might call them unintuitive things with my comic practice um you know sometimes I'll like um write stories where I withhold a lot of information um I'll you'll have a narrator but you never see their face and you mm. kind of follow them in the thing so i'm kind of interested with in those ideas in my comic making practice and um so yeah i got shortlisted for the ladies do comics prize with their sort of collective as well of female art, comic artists based in the uk mm. um and um through that kind of i i didn't really think there was a space for my kind of comic making practice in the uk because it's so con- all my comic work is like deeply connected to india Yeah. and growing up there and you know there's a lot of like context that you can miss if you're not from the region right yeah and so the the biggest thing for me for being in being shortlisted for the ladies do comics prize was this understanding that perhaps some of my stories were universal and that people here could understand and appreciate them i was asked to co-facilitate a workshop with 
uh, researcher Sarah Wong from Positive Negatives in Yangon, working with um, sort of local artists and writers and practitioners there and kind of leading them through this idea of collaborative practice, what it can mean and what are things that you need to keep in mind and how can you actually truly collaborate with somebody. And so we we devised this entire workshop that we delivered in Yangon and I got to see Burma, which was really exciting. Burma yeah. is like, to me, this weird combination of Northeast and or Northeast India and South India because everybody wears um, effectively yeah. lo- lo- lungis. They call it lungis, <laughs> which is like, you know, which is what you see in South India. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, physically, everybody, you know, they share a border with the Northeast. So, and they're like scrupulously clean there. Um, and the food is like really interesting and really amazing. And I so I was very lucky to go out. And then uh, positive negatives, um, they are quite an interesting charity. They work with um, storytelling that's rooted in real events. And um, so they wanted me to make a visual kind of report or a comic, they called it, of the workshop. And so Sarah and I came up with this idea of what of something we called a collaborative cookbook because we kind of like tried to set down the learnings of the workshop. Um, We didn't want to be prescriptive. So we were Mm. like, okay, this is like a recipe. We're going to write it down as a recipe, but in the same way as you like, um, you know, you innovate or you, you make a recipe your own when you're cooking, right? Everybody cooks the same recipe differently. So Um, true. In calling it a cookbook, we wanted to kind of make sure that it was not a template that was adopted prescriptively because we wanted to acknowledge that, a lot of the ways we set up the workshop and how we structured it were very connected to the fact that it was in Yangon. This has led me to, you know, one of the most interesting projects I've done, which I just finished a week ago. So it's not live on my website yet. So I don't even know if you've seen it, Karishma. Um, I haven't, no. It's, um, so I was commissioned by the mayor's office for policing and crime in London recently to um, be part of a facilitation team. Um, They're doing this, I think it's like an amazing initiative where um, in the light of um, the protests around George Floyd's death and um, a lot of the Black Lives Matters protests around the world and also given the lockdown situation we're in, mm-hmm. there's been a kind of surge in um, sort of, um, I guess, stops and searches and and, and sort of um, in, in some ways unfortunate behavior by the police Mm -hmm. Um, towards black and other um, ethnically diverse communities in London. And there's been a lot of protests around this during the lockdown. Um, People have said that the police are taking their emergency powers too far. And, and so um, kind of abusing it. Yeah. yeah, So the the mayor's office decided that they would do a consultation process with stakeholders. And um, these were all conducted over zoom. And the idea was to, work with communities, to work with their internal staff members and to work with young people to start to devise and co-produce an action plan for the Mm -hmm. Met Police uh, to improve their relationships with these communities. And so on the one hand, it's kind of crazy because it's like a um, this is a kind of civil um, or civic organization that's saying, okay, we're not doing these things well. We want to do things better, but actually we are not we we accept that we don't hold all the knowledge in this area so we're coming to you and we want to work with you give us your ideas and we're going to take all of this on and then develop an action plan and we're going to actually write it and then implement it and then hold the met police to account on it and wow. we had uh, people from you know 
uh, Mopac attend the calls. We had people from the Met Police enter the calls. The assistant commissioner was there. The assistant mayor, the, the deputy mayor was there. And so I was part of the facilitation team and I had to draw during all these consultation sessions. In all, about 200 people participated. And um, I kind of made visual reports out of all of the conversations that were happening in each of the meetings. And um, it was just like, it's one of the craziest projects I've ever worked on. And, and you had I'm, to, and you had to basically document and design uh, this entire structure while this was going on. Uh, yeah, so I would do like a set of drawings during the workshops, like just things that came up and things that I heard and things that kind of struck me that people were saying. And then I would go away and develop them into these very long scrolling reports with text and facts and use notes that, you know, other people in the facilitation team had typed up. It was I basically like my comic, um, my background in comics came, especially editorial comics came in like um, huge, like was a huge advantage because the turnarounds are very, very tight. I think I did 95 drawings in 10 days um, that formed the basis of like eight reports. Oh my God, I have to see this because yeah. it just sounds incredible in terms of mixing with these completely two different fields, right? You're looking at something so serious and grave, uh, an issue, and then you're looking at this this way of visual storytelling that comes in to tackle what's going on and, and address a problem at a very social level, right? That's Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's a new field in London. I mean, some of the allied jobs that you see linked to it are things like scribing, like live scribing. And there's this really interesting move here um, that, you know, like report making or like anything that's like a record of an event shouldn't always privilege the written word. And actually, Mm -hmm. like images can capture some of these discussions in a far more evocative and inclusive way. That's so cool. That is like, I mean, just imagine the kind of uh, avenues that open up for your imagination to just run free with with uh, the visual, uh, st- you know, side of things. And uh, I, I mean, I know of data visualization. That is something that I've been hearing as a uh, program that people have been taking up, but not to the extent of like scribing sounds a lot more empathetic in a way, I would say, from what yeah. you're telling. It just has I, a more connected uh feeling to it which i really like about what you're saying and with and with the kadak collective like the website very clearly mentions strong severe sharp uh this 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 really amazing group of south asian women making moves uh, in the comic space with uh the you know stuff you all are doing um could you tell us something about something more about the kadak collective and how that came into existence Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting because um, I think from the outside, we look very organized and we we look like an organization. And sometimes people write to us asking us for internships. And actually, we're none of those things. We're just a group of like six women, six to eight women, you know, and with a kind of wider network of like practitioners that we have collaborated with in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some we kind of juggle Kadak alongside our day jobs. You know, we don't make any money for it from it we don't have an office you know and we we kind of we came together um to sort of get a table um at the east london comics and arts festival so we kind of thought like individually each of us might not be able to apply but in kind of pooling our experiences and our work together and also saying that you know we were from south asia and our work definitely had that flavor mm-hmm. um you know, we, we were stronger as a group than, than individually, which is what collectives are. 
Um, it kind of, we started from there and it's just kind of like snowballed from there. Um, the Bystander anthologies are sort of first major self-published project, you know, with like um, significant ambition, scope and funds, you know, otherwise usually all of the commissions that we've gotten from Max Mueller or the Gotha Institute really have been quite small and haven't really paid for people's time on the project. Again, people have sort of done it for the love of it. And and I think I've learned a lot, like I said, in terms of collaborative practice and trying to work intersectionally and trying to like understand um, how horizontal practices and decision-making works uh, through Kadak. I've learned an immense amount in, in, in being part of the group um, and especially in being part of the Bystander Anthology in doing that. And um, I would say this to anybody, I mean, if you, like, just find allies, you know, join forces, find other practitioners who may be similar or different from you in many ways, and yeah. and, and try to find ways to make work together, like, it'll, it'll take time, and, you know, you're not going to get paid for it, but actually what you produce collectively will be much stronger than anything you could ever hope to make on your own. I mean, that's so amazing to hear. And I think with you on this episode, we've done a collective job of mm-hmm. really, uh, really bringing light to all of this. And even, even when it comes to the kind of things you all cover in the Kadak Collective, whether it's gender equality or it's uh, LGBTQ with Gezi, uh, I really like the varied topics that you all have put in with the kind of stories that you all do, right? Um, is there some sort of uh, inspiration that you guys have when it comes to this? Uh, or is it just freewheeling free uh, and, and deciding what you guys want to put out there? I mean, yes and no. Definitely Kadak is a space where we pursue like non-conventional subject matters. I mean, often like some of those things that we choose to make work about, you'd never get commissioned to make work like that, you know? So for yeah. example, one of our um, gender bender commissions, we took the theme of breasts, you know? Um, I saw and, that. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the flip book kind of, the yeah, not a flip book, but like a opened out, like A, B, C, D of breasts, right? Was that oh, yeah. So that was one of, so that was one, that was the piece that I particularly worked on in collaboration with Shreyas uh, R. Krishnan, um, but I mean, as a whole, if you, if you go on the Kadak medium page, you'll see all the responses that people made, you know, so Priya Dali has made some beautiful, like little like comic strips, like with actually a pair of breasts talking. Wow. Um, and then, um, you know, there, there are like actually like in like Mira made Mira Malhotra made these lovely, like kind of mocked up at like vintage advertising posters for women's uh, bras. Um, that is so there was cool. there yeah. was a whole range of work that we created as a group that took on um the theme of breasts. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, can you think of any commissioner in India that would you know commission no. us to Straight do up, no. Straight <laughs> up, no. I mean, uh, it's a very far way, a far uh, process from that. But like, even the word gender bender, even the term is so like provocative and cool. I mean, really, like, uh, I'm so glad to have come across you via Kushali. Thanks, Kushali, if you're listening to connect She's us. She's awesome. Everything I, Kushali is awesome. <laughs> this is this has been so incredible, Akhila. And, uh, uh, you know, after hearing all of this, I'm literally like, uh, damn, I wish Akhila was uh, one of my friends growing up. Just... <laughs> 
you, you know, yeah, like just like everything you've done, the way you think, uh, it's such an inspiration. Uh, and for everyone tuned in, please do check out her work on akhilakrishnan.com and be completely enthralled with uh, the work that she's done. Um, also check out at Kadak Collective on Instagram and her personal handle akhila underscore krishnan underscore design. Um, and I'm pretty sure Akhila would be open to answering all the questions that come her way in this incredible space that she's in. Um, this was really wonderful. And uh, I really, you know, want to keep talking. But uh, I think, you know, my listeners kind of the attention span that's dropping right now. But thanks so much for this. And uh, really excited to see all that you have from your projections, you know, atop a church to the bystander anthology and, and more. Thank you so much for having me, Karishma. I'm very, um, very happy to be here. Thank you for all your lovely questions. Thank you so much. Really inspiring. Stay safe and take care in this crazy scenario.